and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oaklawn Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Mark Binder. I'm an author, a storyteller, a playwright, a poet, a wordslinger, and I'm a guy. Thank you for joining me today. A little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about your experience with storytelling and sharing stories with other people. But before we get into that, let's start off as we always do with what have you been reading? I read a lot. Um, I read. I often read on my Kindle uh, because it doesn't keep my wife awake when it's in the middle of the night. And also <laughs> when I read those big fat books, a Kindle, it won't kill you when it falls on you. So I <laughs> just finished um, uh, Robert Galbraith, which was the pen name for J.K. Rowling's latest tome, which which would have actually, you know, been a, a, bl- a blunt force uh, trauma if I had fallen asleep <laughs> reading the actual book, big fat book called The Ink Black Heart. And that was interesting. She took a lot of the social media sort of icky parts, all the stuff that's been swirling around her, not not specifically the gender things on her end, but just the sense of that. And she worked that into the book. That said, she really could use somebody who says, you know, cut 200 pages from this thing. It's really long. So I just finished that. And I also just finished a completely different book, The Friday Night Knitting Club. Um, Kate Jacobs, I think, is the author which uh, for some reason, when I got it, I thought it was a mystery. And then I was about 30, 50 or 60 pages or 100 pages. And like, I don't care. Nothing's, nobody's dying. This is a really lovely book. It's about, <laughs> um, about a single mom in New York City who opens up a yarn store and the women who congregate there. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. I just finished it about mm, 20 minutes ago and I was crying at the end. What about you? What are you reading? Um, so, uh, the book I'm in the middle of right now, I, uh, I can't talk about cause we're going to have a whole future episode about it. Spoilers. <laughs> so we'll tease that. Um, but a graphic novel that I just finished called Die, D-I-E. Um, and the prologue really is this group of teenagers get together to play this role playing game that one of their friends made. And like, it was the, I don't want to say necessarily the height of Dungeons and Dragons, like not when it first started in the seventies, but I guess like kind of when it was like getting popular in the eighties is the impression that I got that when Mm -hmm. it was supposed to be set. But yeah, they were like, oh, we want something like different, something that's really tailored to their taste. So their friend made this game and it's supposed to be that each character class has one die that they use as opposed to in Dungeons and Dragons you have your d20 and then you have all your other die for damage and and all of that. I I was Um, one of the people who was playing Dungeons and Dragons back in the 70s and (laughs) 80s so yeah I'm familiar with it. Yeah it's been a while since I've been part of a game but uh, I play too so I so I was interested to read a a book that kind of the premise was about a role-playing game and uh, it turns out that for whatever reason they got sucked into this role-playing game something about their friend making it made it real. And but it, it's not like, oh, we got sucked into a fantasy. Now let's like show our adventures. It's like they got stuck in there for like two years. It was this like harrowing, grim dark experience. And 
they returned two years later, everyone thinking that they were like missing or, or dead, like, you know, a bunch of kids are missing for two years, people assume the worst. And then one of their friends, the friend who made the game, didn't come back. So like I said, this is all just the setup for the premise of this graphic novel series yeah like i said that happens in like 10 pages and then you're like okay fast forward like 20 years the friend who was still in the game his die reappears and and they're like what do we do about this and they get sucked back into the game again but now they're all adults with their own families and they're worried about what's going to happen like with their families now that they're gone so like there's a lot more stakes for their being gone because they're all adults with lives of their own that they built up so i only read volume one because it was way darker than even i expected but it was still very interesting and the authors did make this game into a role-playing game so this game is playable um, oh great on, yeah <laughs> this, let's this leave game. my family for two years and play this game <laughs> I thought the classes were really interesting and a real twist on your traditional uh, D&D what were the archetypes. Um, the one that for those really... of you who don't know, classes are sort of like job description for adventurers in Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. So you got your your wizard, your mage, your, yeah. your magic user, your your you know warrior, that sort of thing. What are the classes in this one? Um, there was the, one of them that I thought was really interesting was called the God Binder. So it was kind of a twist on, yeah, it was kind of like a, a a twist on a cleric that I think the, at one point they describe it as like a cleric meets like demonology. So it was like, Hmm. this person has this connection to all the gods in this setting, it seems like. Um, but instead of it being like, you get powers in exchange for like your worship and devotion, She's like been mm-hmm. gifted this power to bind the god. So like she makes all these deals with them and they oh, it's basically like basic like... politics on Capitol <laughs> Hill, right? <laughs> yeah, like there's one point where she's like really hurt and she's like literally like call like what well, not on a phone, but basically like calling different gods to be like, What do you want? What do you want? So that I don't die. And there was another one that was the Sorrow Knight. So, like, his powers activate and his sword, like, gets more hmm. powerful when he's sad. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, the the kind of main character, you kind of follow all these characters, but it's really kind of centered on this character. Um, it's not the diplomat. Oh, it's the dictator. And it's, like, charisma-based, like, manipulating people's emotions to get what you want kind of thing. So there's kind of also, like, a... A, a team synergy there with the Sorrow Knight where the Sorrow Knight will be yelling at her like, make me sad so that we can fight these people. Yeah. Yeah, Mac- definitely. Machiavelli, a goth, and, and uh, 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 Tammy Baker walk into a bar. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it is this really kind of interesting mix of characters. And like I said, it was a little darker than I expected, so it might be a little bit before I read any of the rest of them, but... Uh, it was really interesting and an interesting take on the genre. I have one more. I don't read a lot of books over, but for some reason, this particular book, I read every year or two. Night Watch by Terry Pratchett. He's got a whole series of books set in Discworld, and Night Watch is um, maybe two-thirds of the way into it in terms of he, he passed away recently. But it is a brilliant blend of detective and wizard and magic and 
one of my favorite books. Um, so if anybody who, out there who's looking for a good read, The Night Watch by Terry Pratchett is something I really recommend. Yeah, I've been... People have recommended various... Don't start books. with the first one. Okay. The first one is not the best. The, yeah. Read the first one when you've run out of, like, other ones to read because you're like, oh, all right. He was starting out, you know, he, yeah. there's good ideas. A lot of characters are still in it. But this particular book is just, it's a really good blend of a lot of different things. He also has an interesting thing in a lot of, in I think, all of the Discworld books, which is there's no chapter breaks. Oh, and and it just flows. Oh, okay, interesting. Because I kind of I like a good chapter break because like then I know where I can stop for the evening or yeah. you know like there are so breaks, like there I are little space like breaks. And, okay, but yeah. but but as far as you know, chapter one, yeah, chapter like, two, yeah, it's contiguous. All right. Well, I've got an idea of a place to start in Discworld. Thanks. Like I said, many people have recommended Discworld to me. I've heard great things about it, but it's been a little. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming where to start when a book series is like that big and an author yeah. is that prolific. Yeah. Don't start with the first one. Uh, is the only one I would say. But the, but they he it's a really lovely series and you know you'll be sad when you read the last one. Actually, I, can I give a, a compl- an Amazon complaint? You guys like Amazon complaints? <laughs> So, so when the last, <laughs> I mean, I so, like when people dunk on Amazon. Yeah. So Terry Pratchett, after he died, the last book, The Shepherd's Crown, came out, and it's the last book by a multi-million best-selling author. And Amazon had it, you know, at a forty or sixty percent discount advance purchase. This is a book that, without Amazon in the in the world, would have been a huge bestseller at full price. But every bookstore in the country was forced to cut the price of this book because Amazon really didn't care. They just wanted to sell the books through them and make their, you know, a dollar and a half mm. off of each sale rather than everybody. I would have paid full price for it. I ended up, you know, because I'm a poor storytelling author uh, buying it on Amazon, but I was not happy about that particular choice. Anyway, it's, that's the economics of the book business, unfortunately. Like, you yeah. knew this book would sell no matter what, and still they discounted it because it's their policy to discount it, and that's just wrong. I mean, I can understand New York Times bestsellers being discounted, but before it hits the bestseller list, it shouldn't be discounted. Yeah. And then, you know, anyway, grumble. <laughs> We're at the library. You get the books for free. Bezos. Yay! Okay. <laughs> that's not going to make it into the final cup. Oh, I don't know. I, th- I think that's it. <laughs> I like that. I mean, it's like new men. <laughs> All right. But besides reading, have you been watching anything interesting lately? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> you know, that whole COVID thing that happened got me really deep diving into a lot of shows. We just did a, a complete binge watch of season two and uh, three of Picard. So if you're a Star Trek geek, the season three of Picard is just like... It really is like a eight or nine hour movie, um, big Star Trek movie. I think it's better than most of the next generation movies, to be completely honest, which was nice to see. And so. not necessarily a super high bar, but. No, but the writing. Well, first of all, I noticed that Michael Chabon um, was credited as one of the story people. So the the story itself and the writing was crafted pretty well. I thought the lines and the humor in it were really... We actually did the seven-day freebie and managed to 
slam it all in. Um, <laughs> okay. Because that's kind of what's stopping me is like, I don't want to pay for another streaming service. Star Trek would probably be the only thing we would really watch on there. But... Well, then they got the new series that's the Enterprise before Kirk that we started to watch called, Bold, I think it's called Boldly Go or, or oh, uh, New okay. Horizons or whatever it's called mm -hmm. uh, with Captain Pike. And that actually, it's, they're like, they're ripping off the direction and the set and all of the thing of the old Star Trek because... You can watch it for free with commercials, but they're 90-second commercials, and they come frequently. Yeah. So it's – so they're just – they just want you to pay the 10 bucks. Yeah, it's, it's not even, that. like, at a good story beat. It's, like, yeah, in the no. middle of – yeah. Well, no, no, it is. No. Okay. Still, it's, it is constructed so, – so narrative for television is constructed around the commercial break, hmm. and, it, and it does influence the storytelling. That said – um, you know, I subscribed and then I canceled it so that I have one month and it doesn't auto renew. Mm -hmm. That way I get to choose whether to do it again. Anyway, we finished all 18 or 19 seasons of Grey's Anatomy. Wow. I know. And they That's just, commitment. It, well, it, it, and it, there was a like about two or three seasons before the end. It got a little bit. But. Right, didn't they do a thing where they killed a character, but then nobody's back. And... They do a lot of the stuff like that that <laughs> wasn't quite. It is a soap opera. I mean, there are definitely times when it just got wicked soap opery. But what was remarkable about the last season, the one that literally they just made it, um, was it was very much engaging in today's political environment around uh, choice and the violence that is occurring um, around the pro-choice uh, anti-abortion uh, opponents. That's one thing. And New Amsterdam is the even more liberal version of Grey's Anatomy. I've seen clips of that, but I did, I've i never watched it. But yeah, it does seem like it really does tack. Like I watched a clip where they, I think this was New Amsterdam. This is like a really weird rabbit hole that I fell down on YouTube. And then it's in my algorithm now, but like clips of medical dramas. Oh, gosh. So like just like one particular case or whatever, you'll kind of like see, like it'll be like 10 minutes and it'll be kind of like, and every so I mean, often, sometimes you don't me. see. Well, I they're not at least the the channel that puts them out that got into my algorithm doesn't do a lot of Grey's Anatomy. It's a lot of like of the newer ones, like mm. New Amsterdam. There is House, a lot of House mm -hmm. clips. Um, New Amsterdam. I'm trying to think of the other ones that that I've seen. There's like a Chicago one, right? Chicago MD or right, something right. in the <laughs> in the weird like Chicago first responders thing. Watching to you know one yeah, like when I was younger, I was very squeamish. I've, I've gotten over it a little bit, but so like medical drama, sometimes if they show surgery or whatever, I'm like, uh. So I never thought I would be into it, but it is very like it is very based in like human stories. Um, it's all life or death. Yeah, I mean, it's very. Cutting, you know, life, death, happiness, health. But like one of those, one of the medical shows, I can't remember. It might have been, I think it was New Amsterdam, had an episode where they showed about a pregnant woman who was in prison coming into the hospital yes. to give birth. And and that is a, that's a big issue that we still really don't have a good answer for of like people not, basically not being treated like human beings when they're when they're pregnant in in the corrections uh system like they're they are restrained in some states it's like completely legal for them to be restrained like during the whole birth including like active labor and giving birth just like 
yeah, just like atrocious stuff. And, yeah. uh, and, the, and so, yeah, the, if it, I'm pretty sure it was New Amsterdam kind of like took it on and was saying about like, like, you know, the doctors there pushing back on it and being like, what is she going to do? She's in active labor. Like she's not going to get up and leave. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I also, it is kind of like an interesting, an, an unexpected place to take on a lot of social issues, but it seems like they do. And, and sometimes very well. I, I, New Amsterdam in particular is all about the social issues. They've been, you know, battering against the drug, uh, you know, the, the opioid epidemic against health insurance um, challenges. Right now, you know, the season we're on is is COVID. So we're getting, yeah. which is really interesting. Uh, literature about co- and, and shows about COVID are a really tricky thing. It's like if you're watching a show that you already like, you'll push through it. But I think a lot of people are just like, I lived through that. I don't want to remember it. It's too, not, it is. not only is it too soon. I was thinking, I wrote a, I wrote a novella called um, Intermission. And I wrote it during lockdown. Uh, it was serialized and um, podcast. And knowing full well that nobody really wanted to hear it. <laughs> and that probably nobody really will want to read it or listen to it because you know, I was thinking about the yellow fever epidemic and all of the great literature that came out of that. Mm-hmm. And we can't think of anything because there isn't any, because everybody went through it and nobody really wants to read about it. So it's, it's sort of a, it's, it's sort of a black, I see it as a black line in, in human history, actually, that there's, you know, pre pandemic. And then everybody in the world, this is something that, that I don't know if you've thought about, but everybody in the world around the planet experienced this thing simultaneously, which is the first time that's ever happened in human history. And now we're sort of emerging into whatever is next, which we still don't know yet. Mm, anyway, yeah. Deep, dark rabbit hole. <laughs> Let's talk about but... things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to break you up with the harmonica every so often. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Unleash your inner child and join us at the Auburn branch every Friday at 4 p.m. for Color and Calm. There will be coloring books, mandalas, colored pencils and markers, as well as herbal and decaf teas and soothing music. No registration required decompress and head into the weekend refreshed. For questions, email auburn at cranstonlibrary.org. If you're participating in the 2023 Adult Summer Reading Beanstack Challenge, the secret code for listening to the podcast is subscribe. Again, the secret code is subscribe. Learn more and join the fun at cranstonlibrary.beanstack.com. And remember to drink your Ovaltine. All right. Well, um, let's get a little bit into you and and what you do and and your storytelling. So uh, can we start off a little bit with kind of like, you know, where you came from and, and how you got into storytelling? Sure. I, well, when I talk about this stuff, I tend to talk in spirals, so I may loop back in, on things. I 
I started out as a writer. I went to the Trinity Rep Conservatory in Providence, which is what brought me to Rhode Island, to study playwriting. At the time, I was the only playwriting student there. This was before the conservatory was part of Brown. So it was an acting, directing, and playwriting conservatory. Most of the people were there for acting. There were a few directors, and I was the only writer in my particular year. I think there were 19, maybe 21 students in the whole class. So I learned a lot about acting and directing during that time. And I was working as the editor of the Rhode Island Jewish Herald newspaper, which doesn't exist anymore. Back in the day when there were actually two Jewish newspapers in the state of Rhode Island, and ours, the Herald, was a for-profit Jewish newspaper. It came out weekly, and one week somebody didn't turn in a story. And this was before you could really steal things off the internet easily. So it was Wednesday morning. We had to finish the paper for Wednesday afternoon so it would be printed and then in people's mailboxes on Friday so they could read it over the weekend. Somebody didn't turn in a story. And I sat down and I wrote my first village life story. And the village, uh, if you're if you're familiar with Jewish literature, there's a village called Chelm. And Chelm is a village of fools. And my village has a lot of different characters in it. It's not a... A lot of the foolish, a lot of stories about fools are very generic. Mine have a real personality to them. So I started to write these stories for all the different supplements, the Hanukkah supplement, the Passover supplement, the wedding supplement, the senior citizen supplement, you know, the summer camp supplement. When I left the paper, I there were newspapers all around the world who would buy my stories for their supplements. So I started to write those. There was a Newspaper in Houston, Texas, uh, The Voice, I think it was called, The Houston Jewish Voice, and they were buying all of my stories. I thought, well, maybe a serialization. Uh, In the old days, uh, newspapers would serialize stories, especially the Yiddish newspapers. Uh, A lot of stories were serialized episode a week. So I called them up and said, I'd love to do this novel. And they said, sure. And so I began writing it. My practice was Monday during the day, I would go to a coffee shop and I'd write the, the, the episode. Tuesday, I would read it out loud to somebody. Wednesday, I would work on it and rework it. And, I, and it would take a, and about five weeks later, I'd submit it to the newspaper. So I had some time to shape it if things went wrong. And it would be printed about seven weeks after I wrote it. And a friend invited me to a storytelling group that met on Tuesday nights. And I had never heard about storytelling. I grew up in Maryland and had moved to Rhode Island. And... Never really knew what storytelling was. Well, this was a group of professional and semi-professional storytellers. There were some librarians. There were some professional storytellers. There's some just people who liked stories. And they would get up and they would tell stories. And it was Tuesdays, so I always had pages from my book. And what I do is, you know, I'll read them and I scribble on it. I call it the scribble draft. It's how I edit. And you can hear what's going on. You can find things don't work, circle it, and move on. After a while, though, they were like... Why don't you try telling us a story instead of just reading? It's like, I don't know, what's the difference? But then I tried it and I found out. And I had already written a collection called The Bedtime Storybook, which is, uh, it's, it's actually broken up into three books. There's about 100 stories. So I already had a repertoire of things that I had uh, sort of licensed to, and t- some of them traditional stories, some of them originals. And I started to do that and I began to perform and I got my first gig was up in Chelmsford, Massachusetts, which is where I used to live. I, I, you know, wanted to audition out of town so that if it was a failure, <laughs> nobody find out about it. But it went really well. And now it's about, uh, you know, 27, 30 years later and, and I'm still doing it. It's, 
there's a real interesting difference between uh, being an author and being a storyteller. And I also do audiobook narration. And I'm, I'm finding now that I'm integrating all three of these aspects into my work. But the main difference between being an author and being uh, and reading a, a text or memorizing a text and being a storyteller is the connection with the audience. So when I'm telling stories, I don't I don't put on a costume. I don't I do I do adopt you know physicalities and and voices. But what I what I like to think happens is when we get caught by the story, I vanish. The audience vanishes, and all that happens is that story. And it's this magical space that exists for a short period of time, and then we come back to ourselves. And what I love about it that I didn't know, this is what I really didn't know, and it was really cool. I didn't know how um, how it connects people. The It doesn't matter the age. I mean, yes, there are stories for little kids, and yes, there are stories for adults, but if you do it really what, right, you can connect, you can tell the same story to these different age groups and they all share this experience and different backgrounds. I mean, when the first summer I was telling stories, this was when I got to quit my day job, was when I got a job for Read Boston, which was Mayor Menino's bookmobile. There was actually a bookmobile that we would drive around in. They would put out books to give away and they, the storyteller was there to sort of bring people in and then kids would go home with a book. And it, you never knew who was going to show up, how old they were, what their background was, all economics, all races, all ages. And it was just a lot of fun to do that. And I still love to do that. That's just, that's the part one. <laughs> okay. Um, so then I guess what's part two? When I started storytelling, there was a huge storytelling movement that happened starting in the in the 70s that grew out of the late 60s and there was this whole thing that happened when 9/11 happened I was supposed to be at the Johnny Cake Festival in uh, uh, Southern Rhode Island performing and we didn't know what to do after that the whole world was in shock I didn't have any power or any sense of what to do either but nobody realized that the best thing to do would have been to call people to come, together to hear stories. As a result, Johnny Cake was very sparsely attended that year. And I, I kind of see that as this play, as this tipping point where the, the rise of storytelling began to, to peak. So I began to dive more into my work as a writer over the, uh, fr from that time on and have written two dozen books and audio books. And because People, some people will hire storytellers and some people will hire authors. And what I give them is both. Um, and so that's, that's this back and forth. It's like if I, somebody will call me up. One of my favorites was somebody wanted me to do a holiday program. And in the old days, people would say, you know, do you have a holiday program that, that you know, will touch all the bases but won't offend anyone? It's like, of course. And then this person said, well, do you have a Diwali story? And I had no idea what Diwali was at the time. So I said, sure. <laughs> and, then, and then created the Diwali story. A lot of my stories will come from that or come from things that spark in the world. I was on my way to um, a summer camp that I was telling stories. Summer camps, telling storytelling is the best because you don't have to worry about being educational at all. <laughs> uh, you can just tell stories that are fun and goofy and scary and interesting adventures. 
I was at a summer camp that I'd been to a whole bunch of times and they'd heard everything I'd done and I was on my way up and I thought, I, I want to tell them something new. Um, what is it? What is it? What's going on? And zombies. I can't tell a zombie story to little kids because zombies, zombie stories are horrible, right? They are really justifications for nice people to kill other people. That's it. You know, if you strip away all the stuff, there's yeah. somebody who's, 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 who's no longer human that you were allowed to kill. Yeah. Horribly. I can't tell a story that at a summer camp to a kid because the parents are going to lose their. But then I thought, what else? Zombie cat. And so I I thought, the zombie cat, what is that? And I began to spin it as I was driving up to this camp. And I got to the camp a little early and I wrote down, I sketched down the whole outline. And I, I put the outline on the, on, the, on the platform I was standing on. I hit the record button on my digital recorder and I told this story. It was awesome. And when I got done, the digital recorder didn't record. Oh, no. And I know. And then, so I was like, all right, I got another one tomorrow. So I did it again. And the same thing happened. And then I wrote it down. I was like, all right, forget it. I'm just going to write it down. And when it, the, the difference between me telling a story and me writing a story is the level of granular detail. When I tell a story, I it's more like a watercolor than a, a pointillist, you know, or, or an oil painting. So there's you get the shapes of things, but you might not get that little subtle detail or that depth of stuff. So after I wrote it, it became very challenging to tell the story uh, as a performance piece. Hmm. And then most recently, I just finished the audiobook of it. So it, I, the Zombie Cat book came out a bunch of years ago, and just recently the audiobook was released this this summer, and that was that was so much fun to go back to this old material and play with it and bring it back to life. So that's one. That's another spin. <laughs> then there's the adult work that I've been doing. I've been working with a, a, a poet and another wordslinger, Christopher Johnson. We're doing a thing called Two Guys Project. That is, um, he's the truth-telling poet. I'm the storytelling liar. And we are engaging about our lives and our, our different backgrounds. And that's a work in progress that's happening. Oh, it sounds very exciting. It is. So... So it sounds like not that you're not doing any in person. Oh no, I've got a whole that, summer plans. No, you, I. But I, I'm. That's what I'm saying. You're still doing in person, but it sounds like you kind of hit a turning point where you realize that you could take your storytelling ability into different formats. Yes. Yes. No. I, I mean, I've been a writer. I've been writing books for longer than you've been alive, probably. And and but. The, the, the thing that's really been coming home is that integration with the spoken component. From here on out, I am not putting out any books in print without doing the audiobook simultaneously, partly because I catch so many mistakes and typos when I'm reading the audiobook. <laughs> like things that yeah. have been proofread and published for years. I'm like, there's a word missing on that sentence. <laughs> You know, nobody noticed, nobody sent me an email and said anything about it, but I find it. Yeah. So going back and forth between storytelling and performance, for example, my I was uh, nominated and a finalist for the Audio Award for Best Original Work a few years back for Loki Ragnarok. If you're, it's not the Marvel version of the Ragnarok story. This is, I took the Norse mythology and I turned it 180 degrees and made Loki the antihero. And... I'd worked on the text forever, and then the performance of it, it was 
an audiobook reading, but it was a performance reading. And it's it's a harrowing, wonderful story that if I was a professional actor, I would be totally into doing this. But as a as a, a human being, I, I finished that and I was like, that was a horrible experience to live through as a performer because it's Loki. The story of Loki is uh, if you've Red Norse mythology, Loki is the trickster who is responsible for Ragnarok and the end of the world. In my version, Loki is uh, poorly treated by Thor and Odin and so reacts and ends up destroying the world. So it's his justification. It was written during Trump era to understand megalomania. And it's a dark, dark piece. And I didn't, I don't, I should from a, you know, theatrical, economic performance thing, take this thing and memorize it and perform it. And I would love to find if there's an actor out there who would like to do this. It's a really, really powerful piece. But I can't go through that every night. I'd much rather tell you a happy story or one dark story and then finish on a lighter note. To end it off on a somewhat lighter or positive note, um, we we end off with the last chapter. But before that, you said you have a whole summer planned. Um, yes. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you have upcoming this summer that people should look out for? Sure. If you're in Rhode Island, I am uh, Christopher and I are doing some workshops at the Hope Library in Situate. We're doing um, some story. T- it's, it's a, a find your voice, uh, tell your truth workshop. Although for me, tell your truth is make something up. Um, find your voice. You know, people think find your voice is tell your truth. And, it's, and it can be. But for people who have had lives that are not horrible, which I hope your life has not been, you can still find your voice and find things to say. And so there's the, those are each. Uh, there's three workshops. I think they're Thursday nights. And then the final one is a public uh, swap performance thing and, and public are invited to free. There's a couple of I don't know if I've got any. Oh, you know, I'm going to be at the Jamestown Library. I don't know if it's before or after this airs uh, doing the summer reading kick kickoff, uh, some summer camps. Uh, and then I'm gearing up for schools in the fall and and for wherever for wherever people will gather and listen. <laughs> so if people want to find out more about you and maybe some more specifics about this upcoming event. Uh, Mark Bind- Markbinderbooks.com. M-A-R-K-B-I-N-D-E-R books.com. I'm, that's also the hashtag or at Markbinderbooks everywhere. I'm trying to push a lot of people to listening on Spotify these days because Spotify just added audiobooks and it's not Amazon. So I actually get paid more. Um, Always good. <laughs> the, they have, the audiobooks are distinct, so so you can you can have a free account on Spotify and listen to audiobooks and buy them by the book, and it costs less than Audible. You can also have a free Spotify account and listen to. I have a lot of stories, both me and my alter ego Izzy Abramson, which is what the Village Life stories are under. Um, so I just I keep making stuff. <laughs> You know, I have this new one, uh, the third. So It Ate My Sisters, the first book, The Zombie Cat was the second. And the third one is called um, The Worst. And these are my Grosden Middle series. It's a fictional account of my childhood. (laughs) Things that never happened to me with people that never existed. But I pretend it's real. And that's the third book that I'm in the process of working on right now. That's a little, it's it's got some controversy attached to it. That's the teaser. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, so we end the show with a segment I call The Last Chapter, where we talk about a library of bookish-related question. So I thought, as an author, I was curious, what author, alive or dead, would you like to meet and why? Oh, wow. What author? Um, Mark Twain. Mark Twain was uh, just... Well, Mark Twain just wrote so much stuff. He was... he And he was... He was always on the the edge of things, and he was he was such a brilliant writer. The amazing thing about Twain was he would he he made most of his living, I am told, as a as a public speaker, and he had he memorized. This is what happens when you don't have television and podcasts and <laughs> and video games. Is you have this thing called a memory. He had memorized these two hour lectures that were fascinating. Uh, Hal Holbrook does a whole show based around some of that stuff. But Twain actually kept trying to make money with an automatic typesetting machine. So this is like, in the old days, used to take little, every letter had to be set by hand. Mm -hmm. And Twain was heavily invested in this automatic typesetting machine, which is early technology for, for distributing text. Uh, kept losing money and kept having to write more books and go out on tour in order to fund his <laughs> habit of trying to become Jeff Bezos, I guess. <laughs> the the really early looked, 19th century Jeff Bezos. I, I, I would have liked to have met Mark Twain. I, that's definitely up there. What about you? Um, I think I've said this before. I can't think of another person so I'd like to meet. So I guess I will say my same answer as previously, which I would have liked to have met Maya Angelou. Hmm. Um, I remember when she passed away, it was kind of, I had one of those moments where I was like, well, it'll never happen now. You know, like when she was alive, I was like, oh, maybe I'll go, you know, there'll be some signing in Boston or something. Like she'll do something. She'll do some talk or something that's close enough that I could go and I could beat her. But then when she passed away, I, I had this moment of like, well, it's never going to happen now. And I just yeah. think she had an amazing life, a hard life, but she took that hard life and she made it into beautiful art. Um, which is all that you can ever ask for, I guess, right? That you can take something painful and make it into something beautiful that other people can enjoy. I like that. I I like to find I like to find the delightful though. I like to find those moments of joy and pleasure and create those too. There's a tendency, and this is something I've been dealing with in the work with Christopher of late. There's a tendency to focus on the dramatic and the dark, and the the journey from from you know uh, struggle to success. There's a lot to be said for the beauty of fresh baked bread. You know, you you start with a bunch of ingredients, you mix them together, you you add water, you wait, it rises. You beat it down, it rises again, you put it in the oven, and then the smell starts to fill the house. And if it's a cold day, the room gets warm. And you open the door, and there is this beautiful loaf of bread. And depending on the kind of bread, some breads, when you take them out of the oven, they crackle as they cool. And it's almost impossible. Whenever I bake, I tend to make a baker's loaf, which is this extra loaf of bread that I get to eat right away. <laughs> because you don't want to wait 
you know, oh, I made this beautiful loaf and it's to give away or for dinner tonight or for companies. Like, no, I am hungry and I want it now. <laughs> you cut into it and you have some cold butter mm. and it's the best thing. And I like those moments too. And that's one of the things I'd like to do as a, both as an author and as a storyteller is to evoke those moments, those small moments and just stretch them out. No, I agree. That's definitely important. I don't know if you watched everything everywhere all at once. Yes. I loved Wayman. And I said to my partner when we were done watching it, it was like, I'm Wayman. And he's like, no, you're not Wayman. And I was like, no, I mean that. I just, I just want to be your silly little wife. Hmm. Like. <laughs> Trying to live a good life is a challenge. There's so much, there's so much darkness. There's so much fear that we forget to take a breath, look around, smell the flowers, you know. Put googly eyes on the washing machine. Put googly eyes on the washing machine. Yeah. Thanks so much. <laughs> thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you'd like to uh, chime in on our last chapter question, you can email us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. You can also reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtimecpl. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Elena Rios, Nomi Haig, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent those of the Cranston Public Library. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes only. The Cranston Public Library name, in all forms and abbreviation, are the property of its owners and its use does not imply endorsement or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. The content of this episode is the property of the Cranston Public Library and may not be reproduced without express written permission. Join us next week for more Downtime. Bye. <laughs> we'll leave it there.